And we welcome you to the Wednesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. The country is gradually opening up again, carefully and cautiously, at least for the most part, as the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic seems to be over. And one of the consequences of this gradual reopening is that Americans are hitting the roads in record numbers, uh, so anxious to be out and about, maybe seeing parts of the country that they have not seen in a long time or maybe never seen before. And uh, this is something we are likely to see for the remainder of the summer of 2021 and beyond. It's good timing for us to be connecting today on The Morning Show with Brennan Matthews, who is editor of Root Magazine, Root as in R-O-U-T-E, Root Magazine, the magazine that celebrates road travel, vintage Americana, and Route 66. And in Root Magazine, you can find all kinds of wonderful sort of -of out-of-the-way destinations that are so fun to visit and explore. And it ends up being just an amazing celebration uh, of so much of America just off the beaten track. And uh, the current issue of Root Magazine that you can seek out uh, contains uh, some wonderful celebratory articles about different famous stops along the iconic Route 66, one of the most famous highways, perhaps the most famous highway uh, in American history. And uh, this particular issue also includes really interesting interviews with uh, musician Jackson Brown and actor Matthew McConaughey, uh, who each have in their own ways connections to the iconic Route 66. So we're going to talk about kind of travel in general, and then we will focus on some of these wonders that can be found along uh, what remains of Route 66. Brennan Matthews, we welcome you to the morning show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad we can have this conversation. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit more about the magazine, its purpose, and the kind of things that people find when they explore its pages. Mm. Um, Thank you. So, Root Magazine is a storytelling magazine, first and foremost. So, for us, we don't set out to, we're not a guide, we're not a tool, per se. We don't set out to tell you where to go. We don't give you maps and etc. We're a storytelling magazine. I always would define um, Root as Vanity Fair meets Route 66. We love getting into the, the full, the fresh story of the people, the places, the history, the culture behind Route 66. And, you know, 85% of the road is still drivable. And so there's so many things to see and do and discover right here in America. People, as you said, are doing a lot more domestic travel now because of the pandemic. And I think that that's allowing people to take the time to really get out and see America. And Route 66 is very much a popular road that they're exploring for the Great American Road Trip. And Route Magazine may be the only magazine that's actually really telling the stories in a sequential order, if you will, of the people behind these historic places um, and then the people who bought them and then the people who bought those and how the whole transition works and, and the impact and the history. And it's just, yeah. And then, like you said, we work with a lot of really great actors and musicians because 
they love travel too. And they love Route 66. And so whether it's Michael J. Fox or Jackson Brown or whether it's Martin Sheen or whether it's Kenny Loggins, so many of them have been on Route 66 and have these unique stories to tell, whether it's motorcycle travel like Brian Cranston or whether it's um, taking his son on a trip like Michael J. Fox. We tell those stories, and you don't find those interviews anywhere else. And so we get really excited to share them. Yeah. Very nice. And uh, the, the two interviews in, in this current magazine, uh, in this current issue, are, are really first rate. And we'll, uh, we'll touch on those in just a little bit, along with everything else. Let's, uh, let's go general for a second and just talk about what you are sensing uh, in, in the United States right now in terms of the, the feverish ferocity with which people are getting back out on the road after 2020, when, of course, travel to some extent uh, was was restricted. Um, what are you seeing out there? What are you hearing out there? The country's definitely open. Route 66 is made up of eight states, running from Chicago, Illinois, down to the Santa Monica Pier in California, and all in between. And those states are open. Those small towns are open. The larger cities, whether it's St. Louis or Oklahoma City or Flagstaff, they're open. They're ready to welcome people. The museums are now all open for regular hours for the most part. The restaurants, diners, they're open. Um, And people are on the move. So we speak to people, obviously, regularly um, in each of the towns, the the CPBs and the other um, local governments who are responsible for managing and monitoring tourism. And they're all very excited because road travel numbers are way up this year even a little growing in some places bigger than 2019 even. And so people are very excited to start welcoming people back because it's not just economic tourism, but there's a real celebration in these towns and cities. They love when people come to visit. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if you have uh, any sense of how much has survived the experiences Hmm. of 2020, because of course, uh, not everything has survived. That is, certain estab- establishments, certain restaurants, certain museums uh, were just not able to sustain themselves through uh, through this difficult uh, gauntlet. Um, do you have at least a rough idea of how things did, particularly along this Route 66 corridor that we're talking about primarily today? Mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, we can be very happy. The majority, certainly all the iconic restaurants, motels, hotels, eateries, uh, road stop at roadside attractions. The vast majority of them have survived. They, you know, they, they need it this year to be successful, to stay open, and thus far it's been. And so they've been able to keep their doors open, and we're very excited about that. So I would say that Route 66 locations, especially all the iconic ones, have managed to stay open, and they're all still there. Glad to hear it. We're speaking with Brennan Matthews, editor of Route Magazine, the magazine that celebrates road travel, vintage Americana, and Route 66. And we're going to delve now into some of what is explored in the current issue of Route Magazine, which uh, focuses on uh, some of the amazing sights uh, to be seen and enjoyed along the iconic Route 66. Um Brendan Matthews, I think a little history lesson is in order, first of all. Uh, t- 
tell us a little bit about what you can tell us about the earliest days of this famous highway, Route 66, which was established, I believe, back in 1926 as the uh, U.S. highway system uh, first began to, to take shape. And, uh, and then tell us a little bit about how Route 66 uh, became, in, in a sense, such a special road, uh, sometimes called America's Main, uh, main Street. You know, it's fascinating. A lot of people don't realize, because for us, we've always had paved roads. We've always had vehicles. We've always been able to get around relatively comfortable. Um, but when legislation for public highways first began in 1916, and then revisions came in 1921, there was actually, in the entire country, less than 100 miles of paved road. And the vast majority of that was in the large urban cities. And even then, they had almost none. And so there was enormous need back then. You know, we think of these highways and, well, they just made it wider and they just made it smoother and safer. But that's not the case. It was just dirt roads and ruts. And and it was very difficult when they actually came up with this brainchild of creating a highway system that connected America, small towns, farming communities, larger urban areas, and et cetera. So, you know, Route 66 is very interesting because... It was um, it was originally inspired as the route between Chicago and L.A., and it was Tulsa, Oklahoma native, Cyrus Avery, and John Woodruff of Springfield, Missouri, who really lobbied um, to have uh, those two cities and that route from Chicago to L.A. established. And, and that was actually firmed up on April the 30th in 1926, in Springfield, Missouri, which is why Springfield, Missouri, is known as the birthplace of Route 66. That's when the numerical designation 66 was actually assigned to the Chicago to L.A. route. And then it was formally established on November the 11th in 1926. But, you know, the road has had so many incarnations. And and so in the 1930s, it was very much the road of salvation, you know, because Oklahoma, parts of Texas, other places in the Midwest were suffering under the Dust Bowl, and, and they were in desperate situations. And they migrated west towards California and towards the salvation of, of farming out there. And so, you know, that was where John Steinbeck really uh, got inspired to coin the term the Mother Road in the Grapes of Wrath for those people who headed west from Oklahoma in that part of the country. In the 1940s, they expanded the road. They made it wider as uh, the government was seeking to relocate military bases and equipment and training out west. And so the road was a little too narrow, still not quite safe enough. So they widened it and made it larger and more manageable to move everything west. And that obviously then really helped the rest of the country as they motored west and um, down Route 66. But then the road really in the 50s and 60s became a road of adventure. And that's really after World War II, GIs returned home. That was really the first time Americans had started traveling and seeing the world. They came back. They wanted to show their families. They wanted to get out and see the country. And everything rose up to meet them. The first McDonald's, uh, Disneyland, 
uh, tourism to things like the Grand Canyon, a real promotion of Native American travel um, and culture. And so ever, ever since then, Route 66 was synonymous with the great American road trip, you know, with adventure, with not being sure what's over the next turn, over the hill, with the non-generic, the non-expected. And then sadly in the 70s and 80s, um, due to um, Eisenhower signing in uh, the Interstate Highway Act um, and the road being decommissioned more and more as interstates were developed and open, the road really took a downturn and a lot of those communities um, suffered. Hmm. Venues closed, people were forced to move, but they didn't disappear. And that's the thing. Everybody forgot about Route 66, and that's why we'll hear a lot of, oh, you know, is there, you can still drive some of it, right? Is there anything left? But it's 85% still there to drive because these communities didn't all die. And there was a major resurgence in the 90s with Michael Wallace's book, Route 66, The Mother Road, which just was astoundingly uh, impactful on on people realizing, hey, this American institution, this mother road is still out there. Let me go and see what what is still around. And then in the 2000s, uh, 2006 and onwards, Pixar, with their animated film Cars, came out, and the international uh, audience really discovered Route 66. And then they've been coming probably 60% of travelers down Route 66 since that have been internationals. Hmm. Yeah. So explain uh, to our listeners, for someone who wanted to experience as close as is now possible to drive the full length of what once was an uninterrupted Route 66, 2,400-plus miles, uh, how... How can one do that or approximate that just as 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 much as possible? Well, I mean, a lot of people. Well, you got to do it by. Well, yeah, I suppose you can do it by any means. We've had people skateboard down it. We've had people walk down it every year. We've had people um, go and take motorcycles. Obviously, the most convenient way is in a private vehicle, whether they take their own or they rent it. Traditionally, going westward is is the way that a lot of people have done the trip. People have done portions of it, so maybe they'll fly in and they'll go to Las Vegas, but then they'll head over to parts of Arizona, like Seligman or Kingman. But if you're going to do the whole trip or even a large part of it, I would suggest going westward. Start off in Chicago and then slowly make your way across. Give yourself five weeks to do the one, one direction, um, four at least, but give yourself some time. Uh, don't rush through Illinois. Don't rush through Missouri. Don't rush through Oklahoma, as some people are apt to do as they hurry out west. Hmm. But rather, take the time, because each of the eight states has so many unique things that can still be found in the other states, but not nearly as much. So, for example, Illinois has a ton of great museums, refurbished gas stations, um, Muffleman Giants, um, some really great mom pie eateries. Missouri has some amazing uh, neon motels. So, you know, you want to spend a couple nights there so you can really soak in the glow of the neon in Missouri and so on and so forth. So I would say take your time. Don't rush through the first three states like a lot of people do or four states. And um, and you can drive the entire thing. You'll have to get onto the interstate off and on in some places in New Mexico 
And in Arizona, there are some sections that are no longer drivable because they are part of uh, Native American re- reservations now. And um, and then there's parts that are just non-drivable, period. But for the most part, you can avoid the interstate through much of Route 66. And does it still, is it still labeled Route 66 all of the way? Or in a sense, does one have to sort of create an itinerary in which you're able to find, I mean, where you are, in a sense, paralleling that original route, even though it's not all called Route 66 anymore. I mean, uh, mm. do, you, do you need to kind of figure that part of it out a bit? Depends which state you're in. Some states have been better than others at clearly designating the route. So Illinois has been fantastic. Oklahoma has been fantastic. You'll actually see signs that are very clear. You're on Route 66. Now, it may be called something else at the same time. It it might have another designation, but you'll see signs constantly that'll say Route 66, Route 66. Um, California will have shields actually on the ground, right on the tarmac, that will confirm that you're still on Route 66. All of the states have been putting more effort into making it an easier, clearer, mappable drive. But there are tools that you can use. So, for example, um, an artist in Oklahoma named Jerry McClanahan did a a guide called the Easy Guide, and it's been every year he updates it. And that will actually guide you turn to turn to turn, you know, go left here, drive about 100 feet, then turn left. If you have somebody to help navigate, that's a great tool to use. And it's fun because it's also filled with all sorts of facts and, 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 and information that are enjoyable to read in the car while you're on a trip. Absolutely. In fact, this current issue of, of Root Magazine would be a wonderful companion. Uh, for those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Brennan Matthews, editor of Root Magazine, and we're talking about the current issue, which uh, particularly focuses on some of the wonderful, intriguing, interesting things that can be found along uh, the iconic uh, Route 66, sometimes known as the Mother Road, sometimes known as the Will Rogers Highway, sometimes known as the Main Street of America. And the vast majority of that original route of Route 66 can still be uh, traveled and enjoyed, even though Route 66 was officially sort of, I don't know what the word is, decommissioned maybe, mm-hmm. as, as a U.S. highway, I think, back in the in the mid-1980s. Um, so your magazine, again, and very much is, uh, as you said, uh, one wonderful story after another. And uh, I just found myself completely entranced by uh, all that I was reading about. Uh, and, and it made me hungry <laughs> in more ways than one to seek out some of these really interesting places. I actually want to start with something that surprised me. But I was so glad that this was part of this issue, is that your your magazine does explore a couple of places that are no longer open, but sort of the remnants of them can still be seen. And I really appreciated that that was part of this, because that is also the part of Route 66. Uh, so even though I didn't expect to, I, I want to start with a place called, I think it's Traxton's Frontier Motel and Cafe, uh, which, if I understand correctly, 
no longer is open, no longer functions, but it can still be seen when one makes this trip. Can you tell us a little bit about this really intriguing story and this uh, kind of poignant landmark along Route 66? Uh, Yes, I can. Um, Now, that's a very interesting, that's in Arizona. And so it's it's one of our favorite places. Um, You know, it was open in the very early 50s. And it was um, Alice Wright who opened it. But it became more famous when it was purchased in 1957 by Ray and Mildred Barker. And they're the ones who really put it on the map and made it really known as a great cafe. In its heyday, uh, the Motel and Cafe, which was known in particular for its homemade pies, was uh, a great example of a 1950s motor court. Uh, it had nine rooms. Um, it had a neon marquee sign. Um, made of light blue panels that read the Frontier Motel Restaurant. It still stands in front of the cafe. It's an amazing sign. It's certainly one that stands out. It's a long, flat road running through Arizona at about the point that you encounter the the cafe and and motel, which are, of course, as you said, no longer there anymore. But um, it comes out of nowhere, and it's this amazing photo op. Uh, In in 1978, the I-40 bypassed Truxton, which... Is very much an Arizona story, and that really was just detrimental to all the businesses along that route. And they ended up closing. Um, Mildred actually kept it going until her death in 2012. Uh, Ray passed away in 1990, but Mildred kept it going. And then finally, even then, they had to give up the ghost, and the motel and cafe closed, maybe for good. Maybe somebody will come along and and save that one, too. We have people coming constantly and buying businesses along Route 66, either ones that are uh, still alive and under management and ownership, and then somebody new comes and, and puts new energy and new vision in, or something that's been closed for a while, like the ghost town in Jericho, Texas, when it, where a couple from Amarillo just came and bought it because they had an emotional and uh, historic connection to it. So... There's a lot of life being breathed into Route 66, either via things that have long been closed and new people come and discover them and insert themselves into bringing life back, or to things that have already that are still open, but maybe you know need that new new ownership to really uh, bring it back to its glory days. And so we don't know. Maybe it'll be open again. Maybe it won't. But for now, it's just a great roadside stop and photo opportunity, and it's certainly one that that is a very visual uh, reminder of the heyday of Route 66 in Arizona. Right. And I guess one reason it's good to talk about that kind of thing is because it also really helps one appreciate all that is still open and vibrant and alive and well along Route 66. And, uh, and I think we wouldn't necessarily appreciate that fact quite as much. And it also is a reminder that this is all of these places are stories as much about people as they are about the places. I mean, as I mean, there was there were people who owned and operated and ran this motel and cafe and all of these other places. It is the people that, that make them possible. Places like the Cozy uh, Dog Drive-In in Springfield, Illinois, which you say is run by a family that 
is Route 66 Royalty. Tell our <laughs> listeners about the Cozy Dog Drive-In, uh, which is a place that uh, that all of us should try to visit at one point or another. Yeah, I mean, it's in the great uh, Route 66 town of Springfield, Illinois. And uh, the, the Cozy Dog is basically a battered hot dog, so to speak. And it was created by Ed Waldmeyer Jr. Um, over in Amarillo, Texas. Well, well, he was still in the military. I think he was in the Air Force, if I remember right. And um, it's still being operated. They moved over um, to open up the the Cozy Dog. In um, I'm not really sure. It, w- it would have been. I. Th- it was after he got out of the Army Corps that he ended up going over and opening the the Cozy Dog. But it's um, it's an incredibly popular place that has lines out the door. Um, his son Bob Waldmeyer never took on the family business per se, but he became a very famous artist and sort of a hippie um, up and down the road. And his art is still found all over Route 66, his maps and his drawings. And his brother, Buzz, ended up taking over the Cozy Dog restaurant from their parents, from his parents. And he ran it. And now his son, Josh, is actually running it. So it's still in the family. Um, It's still very much a popular place that attracts Route 66 travelers and Illinois travelers and it's very much synonymous with one of those iconic places that is found on route 66 that's a must stop on everyone's list as they're traveling down the mother road you know one of my favorite moments in this little article about the cozy dog drive-in is that uh at some point in time when the building was in desperate need of of repair or or outright rebuilding uh (laughs) It was with the cooperation of Walgreens that a rebuild was was possible and that uh, the drive-in could remain pretty much where it had always been. Um, and, and I just think that's a, that's a really nice sort of hallmark of this store. Can you just say a quick word about that important moment in the history of the Cozy Dog drive-in? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's a Route 66 story. It's endurance, right? So we tend to... Cozy Dog Drive-In was opened in 1949, and it could have easily died. But one of the unique things about America and about Americans, and I think examples like Ed and, and the Cozy Dog really fit into to this, is that Americans don't just fall down generally. They, you know, when they get hit by something, they figure out how to get back up. This was a case where the Cozy Dog was going to be closed, uh, it was in danger, and rather than actually just shutting shop, they figured out a way to be creative and to form partnerships, and they were able to stay open and to benefit. And, you know, it's, it, did, it did that with Dairy Queen, um, and it's still there today. And so I think that ingenuity, American ingenuity up and down Route 66 has always been there. And, I mean, I think that if you look at the Route 66 when in the 30s, what we really seen is that people rose up to meet the travelers. So, uh, and they had no money, um, so they couldn't afford quality things. But you'd have someone who said, okay, you can you know, pay a little bit to 
sleep on my land and my wife will make a bowl of soup for you and your family for a small amount. And then in the 40s, as the military was going, and they, of course, had a lot more money, then it went from, you know, sleeping on the ground to uh, maybe a wooden cabin or uh, not just a bowl of soup, but maybe a, a decent meal for a little more money. And by the 50s, you know, people were building better structures and offering better food and more opportunity for a nice experience um, and so on and so on. So I think that Route 66 and places like the Cozy Dog have always been examples of American ingenuity and entrepreneurial spirit to rise up and actually take advantage of the opportunities that are coming their way uh, while they're welcoming people who are passing through. Hmm. While we're talking about uh, wonderful places uh, to eat along uh, Route 66, we should make mention of this famous rock cafe in Oklahoma, which has some connection to the aforementioned Pixar movie, Cars. Just say a quick word about mm-hmm. what makes this so famous. Yeah, well, the rock cafe is in Strode, Oklahoma, and it was first built by Roy Reeves in 1936 and opened in 1939. And, you know, it's, it's a very simple building, but it was made from local materials, so they have this distinctive stone exterior. And um, Roy did most of the work himself and hired local students. Again, thinking about it, 1936, you know, this was just after the Great Depression. It was uh, a time when it took, again, like I said, a lot of gumption to actually open such a business when people were trying to recover. But he did, and that's the story of Route 66, um, you know, there was a, it was operated by a lady named Thelma Holloway, and there was a local Greystown, Greyhound, I'm sorry, bus station there during World War II. The neon sign, which is a lovely sign, was installed in the late 40s. And it was just really a dependable, lovely place that has endured over the years. It's been owned by Don Welch. Since 1993, she bought it from a fellow who owned it at the time named Ed Smalley. And Dawn, you know, Dawn is an interesting story because she came from a small town outside of Oklahoma City called Yukon, and Dawn had big plans. I mean, Dawn had dreams of being a world traveler, and, you know, coming from a small town in Oklahoma, she wanted to get out and see the world. Hmm. And she did. She ended up down in... um, with the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, and she had big plans on opening up her own shop in Costa Rica. And then one day she was back in Strode, where her mom had moved, and she was out um, on her bicycle, I believe, or skateboarding, um, and she happened to run into Smalley. And he got talking with her, and one thing led to another, and she took a year off from her dreams, and she... Um, took over the Rock Cafe, and that year built into now. And like I said, that was 1993, and this is 2021. Hmm. And she's still there. And the interesting thing is when John Lasseter was doing his famous road trip down Route 66 with the Pixar crew, and he did several trips with Michael Wallace in order to really get a better understanding of Route 66 before cars, Don's place, So the Rock Cafe was one of the places that they visited, and that really impacted them. And so did Dawn and her personality, because Dawn's very outgoing and friendly and 
uh, vivacious, and she's just, you know, got a lot of lot of energy, and she's just a lovely person. And so when they were riding cars, they patterned one of the characters, Sally, who was Lightning McQueen's love interest, after Dawn, the same way they did other characters after other people along the route. And so it became synonymous. And if you go into the Rock Cafe today, you'll see posters of, of the film cars on the wall, and you'll see miniature figurines of cars. And they're very excited to talk to you about the film and about Don's role of inspiring that character. Mm. Wonderful. Route 66 is festooned with five different auto museums that you talk about, and there are several famous motels, well, more than that, along Route 66, but the most famous of them, the Blue Swallow, which the article says is heralded as the crown jewel of America's most famous highway. Tell us what makes this Blue Swallow Motel so iconic. Yeah, well, I mean, the Blue Swallow is is just reminiscent very much of that Route 66 travel of, you know, you got the big, beautiful neon sign. You, you know, it says things like (laughs) 100% refrigerated air. Um, You have the neon that's wrapping all around the exterior of the building. You know, you only have, I believe they might have 11 rooms. um, And everything has been really maintained into being... um, what it was back in the heyday of the of the motel when Lillian Redmond ran it. You know, it was one of the earliest motels in Tucumcari, New Mexico. And it actually began as the Blue Swallow Court, not even uh, Blue Swallow Motel. And it was built by a fellow named W.A. Uh, Huggins. So the hotel has had numerous owners over the years. Most recently were Kevin and Nancy Mueller, who sold it Um to another couple who named Don and Robert Federico, who are now at the helm. And I think that the thing that causes the Blue Swallow to continue to be so iconic is both the history behind it. Lillian Redmond was doing stuff back in, in the 50s that nobody else was doing. So if you, for example, showed up and you had no money, she wouldn't necessarily turn you away. She may barter with you. Do you have something that you know you could give us? Uh, for the value of the room, or if you were really hard up, she may just give you a room if she had availability. You know, hospitality and that w- spirit of welcome that is so Route 66 really lived with Lillian Redmond, and so she sort of set the tone a lot, I think, for um, for that motel. And she actually was, uh, she worked as a Harvey girl until the early 40s. And, of course, the Harvey girls were just, amazingly trained with the Fred Harvey Company in hospitality and and service. And so she really brought that pedigree and that experience into her role. And that sort of set the standard for a lot of motels in the area and certainly along Route 66. And so that trademark hospitality and neon and desert, you know, desert nights and and um, and what really represented for a lot of people the the magic of Route 66 and still does today. We're speaking with Brennan Matthews, editor of Route Magazine, and talking right now about 
just some of the things that can be enjoy- enjoyed along Route 66, including famous landmarks like the Smiling Water Tower in Atlanta, Illinois, or the 22-foot-tall hobo statue found in downtown Buckeye, Arizona, and uh, uh, the uh, Sinclair Dino, the iconic dinosaur uh, mascot of Sinclair Oil in Wilmington, Illinois. Uh, but I think my favorite of everything I read in your current magazine uh, issue of Root Magazine is the turkey trots in tiny Nilwood, Illinois, population 250. This I had never heard of. This is a wonderful little bit of Americana. Um, say a word about this and uh, what, what people see when they seek out the turkey tracks in Nilwood, Illinois. You know, that's such a funny, fun little spot. It's only around 37 minutes south of Springfield, but you get into the middle of these uh, cornfields and you're, you're in farming country, and so you, you couldn't be further away from urbanity if you tried. But as you go down Illinois Route 4, you, you hit a quaint little town called Nilwood, and during the 1920s when they were paving Route 66, Nobody knows for sure, but it's thought that a group of turkeys, or a gang of turkeys, whichever you call it, um, actually escaped from where they were being held and made their way over to the wet tarmac. And so when it actually dried, their footprints were still in the concrete. And so that is an area that Nilwood celebrates. It's sort of, you know, anything that pulls people off the road people will do. It could be Mufflerman Giants, it could be Neon, it could be Billboards, it could be whatever. In Nilwood, what they have in that little community are these turkey tracks. And they've put up a sign, you know, turkey tracks, and you got a little turkey with his blue feathers and, and his red head and yellow beak, sort of looking down at the grass, and, and then you got to um, put um, like a white square around where the turkey tracks actually are <laughs> to make it easier for people to see. And there they and there they are, all these years there later, still still in the pavement, which is such a wonderful touch. Thirty-four turkey tracks, thirty-four <laughs> of them, and they're permanently there. Absolutely wonderful. So that's to be found in Nilwood, Illinois. And I also wanted to make brief mention of the fact that uh, the Route 66 drive-in uh, in Carthage, Missouri, has a wonderful story. Carthage is also the name of the local liberal arts college here. Uh, uh, just right down the road from the radio station, and it's where I happen to teach. So it was fun to learn about Carthage, Missouri, and about the uh, the wonderful little drive-in movie theater that is alive and well there. All kinds of other places along Route 66 that are yeah. explored and celebrated in this book, including a neat little museum somewhere in Texas, the R&R, uh, rattlers and reptiles in Fort Davis, Texas, and much, much more. But what we need to do now is talk for a moment about the great pleasure that you had in uh, doing interviews with musician Jackson Brown and actor Matthew McConaughey. Let's begin with Jackson Brown. Explain his connection to Route 66 and why you knew it would be a wonderful uh, thing to sit down and talk with him. Yeah, I love Jackson. He's um, such an iconic musician and singer-songwriter. So Jackson Brown, of course, was one of the artists who penned Take It Easy, which was sung and made famous by the Eagles. And so the first lines, I'm standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, 
What a fine sight to see. Winslow, Arizona is a great Route 66 town. It's, um, as I said, <laughs> all of these towns will rise up and use whatever they can, really, to bring people in and help them stay. And they should. I mean, that's, that's part of their tourism product and, and the opportunities that we have as travelers to really get to enjoy a place. For them, having, that, having their little town and that supposed corner be so famous based on Take It Easy, they really rose up to publicize and promote that specific corner. And so it, there's a big mar- a shield, Route 66, Arizona shield out front of this corner. There are statues. They're not supposed to be Glenn Fry or Jackson Brown, but a lot of people assume that they are them. But it's really more of um, a love letter, if you will, to, to the drifter or to the hitchhiker, to the person just making their way across the country, if you will. Um, there's an image there in a window of, of a blackbed Ford. And so there's really the, the tone being set of, of what the song lyrics depict. And Jackson loves Winslow. He's been there many, many times. He stays at La Posada, which is just up the road from the corner, which is the historic Harvey House. And it's been restored. And it's by far one of the best places on Route 66 to stay and travel. And um, yeah, so that whole corner has just, and the small town of Winslow has become so synonymous with Jackson and that song, and it really connects him to Route 66. Hmm. Tell us about uh, actor Matthew McConaughey. Uh, the uh, title of this uh, article with this interview with him is titled A Good Texan. Explain his wonderful kind of heartwarming connection to Route 66. You know, Matthew, he owns multiple uh, Airstream trailers, He's constantly out on the road on road trips. He's traveled all over the country um, on road trips. He's certainly seen every inch of Texas. And up in the panhandle of Texas, he spent a lot of time on Route 66 as well. And so Matthew just has a lot of passion towards small towns, two-lane highway travel, um, classic Americana, if you will. And, of course, Route 66 is by far the best example of that. And so Matthew just has a lot of great stories to tell about being on the road and experiencing America as it comes. He has a great story in that interview where he talks about being up in the panhandle and he stops. Matthew will often stop when he's driving and and try to take down a thought that he has. And so he talks about stopping and it's a still, still afternoon and it's a quiet day with just straight ahead road, uninterrupted. And he's um, hearing this pattering noise, tapping noise. And he stops to try to figure out what it is. And it's getting louder, but he can't see anything. And it gets louder. And he finally sees this boy drive by on his bicycle with like a playing card uh, attached to the the spokes of the tire. (laughs) Tap, 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 as as he drives on and disappears. And, you know, for Matthew, that was just a real beautiful example the, the simplicity and the wholesomeness, the earnestness, if you will, of Texas and of small-town America out there on the, in the panhandle. Hmm. It's a really, really wonderful uh, interview. Both of them are and are very, very much worth exploring. Uh, and again, there's so much more that we haven't even had a chance to touch on in terms of what one can enjoy along 
this famous Route 66. I want to finish with um, uh, uh, a quote from your, I guess we might call it kind of an editor editorial uh, that is right at the beginning of, of the issue when you write, uh, everyone shares a common element of being on the move, of being strangers in an unfamiliar place. There is a freedom in the anonymity. Uh, you're talking about when we kind of set out on, on long road trips, that that is part of what that, the allure is. Can you just say a word more about uh, how this is true, this freedom in the anonymity that can be part of these uh, great long road trips? Yeah. You know, when we set off and we leave home and we make a commitment, and that's what we make. We make a commitment to ourselves. We make a commitment to those that are with us that we're going to do our best to shut off the day-to-day worries and concerns, and we're going to try to tap into everything that we encounter along the way. For me, it takes about two weeks. I'm out on the road for like two weeks uh, before I start to like exhale and really take it all in. I'm trying to get better at it, but you know, by the time I hit the road, I'm <laughs> I have so much already going. Uh, months and months of, of uh, tension and anxiety and stuff just real life and everybody's the same we all have that when you're out in the road you you make a commitment to yourself even if you don't know it that you're going to try to relax and enjoy and take it in for me it's that moment when you're standing in a in a a corner somewhere a quiet corner maybe you're in Carthage Missouri and you're standing in front of Boots Court and they've switched on the green wraparound neon light and that busy busy road is now quiet and the street light is making that click noise any single time that it changes red to green, red to green. And it's maybe a light with a four-corner stop, four-way stop, but there's no one. And it's just you. And it's just the neon. And it's just the vibrant history of that corner and all those people, let's say in this case since 1926, that have passed Route 66 in that area. And nobody knows you're there. Nobody cares you're there. It's just you and yourself. And it's, it's a moment where you get to really ponder um, your own role in time and your own place in history. And, and you're there where everybody else also passed. And now you're there alone. And so I think that when you get out on the road and switch on Route 66 and you're experiencing the history and the culture of the road and nobody knows who you are, Nobody cares who you are, and you're just there. It's just you, maybe just you and your family or you and your friends, but you're anonymous. There's a real freedom in that, a freedom to just really not worry about anything and just take it all in. Mm. More information about Root Magazine can be found uh, at the magazine's website, which is www.rootmagazine.us. And its editor, Brennan Matthews. And once again, the current issue of Root, uh, Root Magazine includes all kinds of absolutely wonderful stories and beautiful photographs of, of just some of the things that can be enjoyed along America's iconic Route 66. Brennan Matthews, it's been a great pleasure for me to speak with you today on The Morning Show. Thank you so much. Best wishes and happy travels. Thank you.